You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, hey. Didn't see you there. It's another episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show is part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Also part of the Locked on Podcast Network is the Peacock and Williamson podcast. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson take you through the news of the day and everything going on in the wide world of the NFL from the national angle. Go check that out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. So today, I got a couple of quick notes that I want to talk about. Well, not quite quick notes. There are a couple of news items to talk about, but we'll also talk about uh, somebody on the Vikings who has played quarterback, running back, wide receiver, both outside and slot, cornerback, both outside and slot, safety, linebacker, and punt returner. There is a guy on the Vikings that has done that. You probably know who it is if you listened to this series last year. We're going to talk about that but first, we have a hashtag new friend. The Vikings signed another vet man guy. His name is Ty Smith. He played for mostly the Titans. Uh, we'll do a proper story time series thing on him a little later, but for now, we can at least talk about him on the field. He was drafted by Seattle in 2015. He spent one year there, spent his rookie year there. Uh, didn't make the team in 2016, and Washington put them on their practice squad, but he was only on there for a little bit. Tennessee needed corners, so they poached him, and he's been there ever since until last year. And he was always like a backup style guy on there you know somebody that didn't get a lot of run he got into games here and there as they needed some like spot duty but he really has a penchant for like coming into one play a game but making a huge play on that play like there was a game in 2017 uh they were playing the dolphins he gets one snap and it's a tip drill int that he almost houses uh he's got like a blocked field goal that he's returned for a touchdown there was a forced fumble that somebody else uh picked up and, and returned for a touchdown like he's this weirdly disruptive guy but he doesn't get a lot of uh consistent snaps which probably speaks more to his playing style it's the jordan brailford thing where he was like this guy that couldn't make a team and he got like two sacks and everybody thought wait is he actually good and it turns out no nah, i just got a couple sacks it happens but it was enough to get him depth spots in tennessee for a long time enough to get him to kind of keep making that team so with him this corner room is kind of wacky and it's interesting because i've seen a lot about like the status of that cornerback room especially when they traded my cues people were like who's gonna play corner uh, jeff gladney people are like well he's definitely gonna get cut which is i always think is funny because he's not definitely gonna get cut uh they you know, guys very rarely get cut in situations of, of domestic abuse like what Jeff Gladney did. It's probably going to be more like a suspension or something. But, you know, who's to say uh, with, with any certainty with anything, of course. But you have a really weird cornerback room anyways, right? You've got Cameron Dantzler, Patrick Peterson, and Mackenzie Alexander. There's your starters. And honestly, the top end is pretty sorted. Like, there's your starters and whatever you get out of Jeff Gladney. Call that a question mark and set it aside. Call those the top four corners on the roster or three and a half corners on the roster and somebody gets a six-game roster spot, right? So after that, you've got kind of Chris Boyd and Harrison Hand as the alumni that get the roster spot. Now, Harrison Hand's kind of been shown out at camp. I talked about him last week. I'm pretty high on his tape, actually. He didn't 
get a lot of run in 2020, but when he did, it looked pretty good. I don't know. And he has two interceptions in OTAs, which is pretty fun. And they, and the, the one he got in OTAs looks like a pretty good rep. Now, look, I'm not going to make any evaluations off of OTA videos, but it sure is fun. But if you can keep up that level of play throughout camp in the preseason, give him a roster spot. And it's really Chris Boyd being uh, kind of tested by all the other guys. So you have this Ty Smith guy who's pretty good at making NFL teams. You got Perry Nickerson, who's pretty good at making NFL teams. Um, and, you know, even wild cards like Dylan Mabin. And you were supposed to have Amari Henderson. I'm not quite sure what the deal with that is. Henderson was a rookie tryout who I thought was going to get a roster spot. It was reported that he was going to get a proper invite to training camp. Um, but for whatever reason, it hasn't been signed yet. Um, it did they did. There was something made about how that was like going to be delayed, but I don't know if it was supposed to be this delayed or not or whatever. I don't know what's really going to happen there. But either way, he's a long shot. So really, you kind of have your core alumni six or your kind of chalk six, which is Patrick Peterson, Mackenzie Alexander, Cameron Dantzler, Harrison Hand, Chris Boyd, and however many games you get out of Jeff Gladney, call it a half a roster spot. So your core, I guess, five and a half. And then you have Perry Nickerson and Ty Smith on the outside looking in, kind of trying to take the spot from Chris Boyd or Harrison Hand, I guess, as pole position. But it seems like he's off to a pretty good start there. And it's interesting because a lot of people have expressed quite a bit of concern about this group. My only real concern about this group is that it's only nine guys. Um, You kind of need 10. And Amari Henderson, I guess, just isn't ready to report yet for whatever reason. But just like to have a full training camp so you can do all the drills and have enough rotation and have enough guys to kind of go up against all your receivers without people having to do double reps and then they get gassed. That is not enough people. Nine is not enough people to like do that for proper training camp. So right now, as it stands, they have 88 people on the roster. So they have two more roster spots. And we talked about yesterday, they have a decent amount of cap space as well. So I don't know. I, I would hope somebody joins, even if it's a camp body on uh, on the secondary just to give them a little bit more bodies to work with even if that won't necessarily affect the like projected 53 man roster and for my money it's pretty healthy competition now we've got a lot more to talk about but first let me talk to you about Credit Karma. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements just for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win instant daily Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant Karma cash will be added right back into your, sp- your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and fee withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up right now for free and start winning Instant Karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Let's also talk about your car. Make sure you have everything you need for your car. Let's say you're a do-it-yourselfer. You're the kind of person that buys a lot from an auto parts store, or maybe you just need some of the essential supplies that you would keep in a car. For that, please go to rockauto.com. You'll save a buck. Rock Auto is a family company, and the key, the key is that those brick-and-mortar auto shops are upselling their retail customers as opposed to when somebody comes and buys wholesale. Rock Auto doesn't do any of that. They're a family company, and they just want to take care of you. So go ahead and buy something at Rock 
rockauto.com. Just enter your make, your year, and your model, and they will guide you toward parts or supplies that are compatible with your car at rockauto.com. And in the how you heard about us section at checkout, make sure you let them know that Locked On sent you. Because if you don't, the bunnies have threatened that they will upgrade from misdemeanors to felonies. Rock Auto, amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. So on Wednesday, the Associated Press reported that the NFL has pledged to halt race norming in brain injury lawsuit settlements in terms of like how they pay out for brain injury lawsuits. So there's a lot of background you might have missed for this because it's been this like long ongoing thing and there's not a headline about it every day. So let me catch you up. You probably know about CTE, the degenerative brain disease that happens when you get a bunch of subconcussive hits or a lot of concussions over the course of playing in the NFL, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, running backs, guys that experience a lot of contact end up with degenerative brain disease later, and there was a whole big lawsuit on behalf of those players for damages, medical bills, that kind of thing. So the NFL settled for the tune of like $1 billion in that lawsuit, and now they have to decide who gets what money. So to get your part of that settlement, you have to basically prove that you've had a decline in cognitive function. You have to prove that this is actually affecting you, and for that, they would use some cognitive testing. And a lot of cognitive tests, when they're, like, testing for, like, dementia or things affects on dementia or, you know, things that might result in dementia or whatever, they'll do, like, a cognitive test once and then a cognitive test again five years down the road to see if there's been, like, a decline over time that doesn't match what you, like, should be experiencing because of age. And that's all well and good. The problem that we're talking about today is that those tests would use a process called race norming, which you can probably guess it means that they are normalizing the results depending on the race of the person taking the cognitive tests. And they would assume that a black test taker would have lower cognitive function to start with, which means a test taker that is black and scores poorly on the cognitive test that would have otherwise shown, hey, this person's in cognitive decline because of CTE and they need their, their money for the settlement. Essentially, the test says, nope, that's normal. They're a black person. So that doesn't look great. And on Wednesday, the NFL pledged to halt the usage of that proactively and retroactively, which means if you took the test before and because of race norming, you didn't qualify for your part of the settlement, but without race norming, you would have, you now get your part of the settlement. That's part of what the NFL is pledged to do. So all this is obviously like super gross and it is rooted in old like social Darwinist pseudoscience it evokes images of crackpot scientists measuring skulls and all sorts of other horrifying things from the not-so-distant past. So I figured it was worth taking a minute to examine kind of how we got here. It can be jarring if you're unaware to learn that this sort of social Darwinist science is still out there and being used in, like, legally justified ways in, you know, super official capacities. Now, this particular practice has been out there for a while. It's been talked about for a while. Uh, and it's something that if you dug deep enough, you could have found on your own. But if you didn't, it's hard to blame you. This doesn't get kind of thing doesn't get a lot of buzz. And I think for some people, that's very much on purpose. So I'll link a study in the show notes. If you want to go really into the hard stuff yourself, you can feel free to do that. But look, the science that is evoked when it comes to race norming in like cognitive function tests has been 
disproven. And a lot of cognitive testing in particular has sh been shown to have a racial bias. And it's not about education, which is commonly cited that, you know, okay, more black people are going to live in lower income areas, lower income areas have lower property taxes and therefore lower funded schools, blah, blah, blah. Like that's like a pretty uh, standard thought process that goes through this. But a lot of the studies that found that race norming was effective had already adjusted for that, which made them very persuasive in the first place. But basically, here's the deal. When it comes to cognition, you would assume that cognition is a like very purely chemistry, like a very nature over nurture kind of thing, something that is purely in the mind and in some way, uh, you know, immune to environmental factors. But that's not the case at all. The way that we grow up, the values that we're taught to have, the way we are taught to process information at, you know, and I'm talking at the ages of, you know, 18 months old and the way people talk around us and the, the things that people talk about around us are just going to be different from, you know, life to life to life. And this goes to like the most basic uh, descriptive things of culture, what language you hear growing up, how that language and what kind of accent there is, what sort of colloquialisms there are, what sort of conversations people have, what sort of fears you have. The way from a very young age, your surroundings teach you how to process the world. This doesn't even really have anything to do with like parenting styles or anything really on purpose that anybody does. It's just different. It's culture. And if you are a black listener, you probably can corroborate you probably grew up learning different lessons than I did. It's why I say all the time, especially when, you know, racial subjects come up in like the story time series, I kind of have to clarify, like, it's why I will often take the time to clarify, especially during the story time series where this sort of things come up. This is not an experience I personally relate to. I can narrate it and tell you about what somebody else went through, but of course I didn't go through it and I'm not pretending to understand it. So if someone like me tried to write a cognitive test... I would only really be able to measure the type of cognition that I am familiar with, the type of cognition that I do, because of the culture that I grew up in, and the, the lessons that I learned as a very, very young toddler. And the people writing the test, very often white people, don't really have a choice but to tailor it to their own experiences. And again, the way black kids grow up in America and the way white kids grow up in America does not lead to one kid being, on average, a better cognator than another kid, right? This is not a, a measure of quality, it's a measure of style. But when you're writing a test in English, and then you ask a Spanish-speaking kid to take it, the Spanish-speaking kid on average is going to do worse. Doesn't mean they're dumber, it means that the test wasn't written for them. And I think with a cognitive test, the idea that culture teaches your brain a different language is an apt metaphor. Problem is, tests written by white people would return results that imply that white people are better at cognition. And those are people with, you know, perfectly functioning cognition, you know, healthy adults that cognate completely fine that are scoring lower on the test. So when uh, a black adult that has CTE or some sort of degenerative disease and isn't cognating perfectly also scores poorly, those results would be muddled. And you'd have a much tougher time, you know, differentiating between somebody who does poorly on the test because the test was kind of written along a racial line and people who do poorly on the test because they genuinely have you know, degenerative brain disease, and they need their part of the settlement to, like, treat that. So the NFL and a lot of the science supporting the NFL, or that the NFL kind of cited in this, said, well, 
guess it's all bad and I guess black people are just worse at this and it just got like they just kind of like defaulted to the really bad assumption. I probably butchered that science pretty bad, but there are definitely cognitive differences depending on how you grew up and depending on your culture and the language you speak and all that stuff. You know, you talk to somebody from Indonesia and somebody from Akron, Ohio, they're just going to have different parts of their brain light up at different things. It just, you know, people just grow up differently. Neurology is a fascinating field. And as humans, we don't fully understand like brain function and stuff. And we probably won't for a long time. So just jumping to an assumption that this test score necessarily means this, you know, like correlation probably not the best idea. And I, a couple of thoughts on this. A, I would not be surprised to learn that instead of being like aggressively and directly racist, the NFL was just being conveniently racist. And it just meant that they could, oh, this is a way we can think about it where we give out fewer settlements. Great. And instead of deliberately targeting black members of their, uh, you know, their, their alumni, they were just okay with a system that happened to target black people, but saved them money on the whole. And I think that that they are stopping now is probably going to ring hollow for a lot of people. There's a family member of one of the players affected by this, and she said, you know, I'll see it when I, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, which is totally fair. And even so, you know, a lot of damage has been done, but they are changing it retroactively, and at least that is some amend that they can make. So on the whole, it's good news, even though you're learning about something that has been bad news for a long time. And if you're learning about it for the first time and you're angry about it, I'm right there with you. But enough about this. Let's transition to a lighter topic. The NBA playoffs are still in first swing, the first round is starting to come to a close. You have a 3-2 series with the Mavs up on the Clippers. You have, I believe, a 3-2 series with the Suns up on the Lakers. It's not too late to put in a wager on the remaining games of all of the series in the NBA playoffs or future series coming up, like the Bucks versus the Nets. That one's going to happen. You can bet on all of that stuff and way, way more. MLB, NHL, NFL futures, stuff like uh, you know win-loss records for the 2021 season. Will this team make the playoffs? Who will win divisions and stuff? You can bet on all that stuff at betonline.ag. It's free to set up an account if you haven't already. You can go do that real quick on your mobile or your desktop. And then when you actually put in money to gamble with for the first time, you can enter promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus. That means if you put in $1,000 to gamble with on your first go, you'll actually be able to play with $1,500 just for entering the promo code Locked on. That'd be 500 bucks in free play money at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. So Blake Lynch has had a very, very weird career up to this point, and he has come across a lot of future Vikings in it as well. He re when he came to Minnesota, he reunited with like a weird amount of people. The first one is Chris Boyd. He went to Gilmer High School in Ohio, and he played there with Chris Boyd. At that time, Blake Lynch was a wildcat quarterback, kind of a weapon type, running like high school wing tee type offenses. His senior year, a hotshot quarterback prospect transferred to his school, and so he mostly went turned into a skill player, kind of a Taysom Hill role, right? He would do you know, bubble screens, weird trick plays, play wide receiver generally, but he was mostly like a skill player. He would take a lot of uh, snaps out of the backfield as well. So he gets recruited to Baylor to do that, to be a wide receiver. And he was at the time learning from like uh, learning the, the nuances of the position from people like Corey Coleman, who uh, this is a great uh, story for holy crap, that guy names. Yeah, Corey Coleman uh, for eight games and then eight games. It was a redshirt freshman year. He didn't get on the field a lot. And the running back got hurt and they didn't have another guy on the roster. So they said, all right, you're a really dynamic athlete. Blake, you're going to play running back. And hey, that's how it goes, right? Somebody gets hurt. You get your chance, whatever that chance may be. And in that game, he got 58 yards on six carries and he actually earned the starting job for the rest of the year. So the next year, 
was uh, Matt Rule's first year at Baylor. And before the season, two starting cornerbacks go down. So they have another huge depth issue at cornerback. So Blake Lynch, in high school, he was actually a two-way player. He played a little bit of cor- cornerback kind of sparingly in high school. He was mostly an offensive guy, but he did come in at corner. So Matt Rule said, hey, Blake, you remember all your corner from high school? Because we need a guy. But Blake Lynch is very much a yes coach, what do you need coach kind of guy. So he learns cornerback and he starts learning it from Harrison Hand, who is at Baylor at the time. But of course, he's way behind in learning the nuances of the position. He barely played any defense in, in high school. So he needs to learn, you know, route concepts and stuff. And he has a decent understanding of route concepts from his quarterback and wide receiver days. He has a decent understanding, of, you know, the kinds of things that would annoy him when he was a wide receiver that the cornerback could do to kind of beat him. And he would try to get those habits. And so he did, I'm going to say, okay, considering the eight ball he was behind. But the first game, like, didn't go well. They, the, they were up against Liberty and Liberty passed like 60 times on him and they targeted Blake Lynch a bunch. And of course, you know, he was new to the position. It didn't go great. And it kind of, he learned it as the year went along, but halfway through the year, the starting cornerbacks came back from their injury. Blake Lynch went back to wide receiver where he was comfortable. So, uh, fast forward to 2018, which is Blake Lynch's junior year. And Matt rule thinks, Hey, you might be able to move to safety. And Matt rule is huge on position switches. He is very much like, you know, these kids come in from high school playing a position that's totally not right for their body type. That's just like the thing they signed up for when they were a freshman, but it's totally, you know, and they've grown up a bunch and they're totally a different body type. And they, he thinks that a bunch of people could have better careers if they switch positions in college. So he was moving Blake Lynch all around. And again, Blake Lynch has no issue with it. He signed here, he plays here and he does what the coach asks. At safety, Lynch discovered something, that he likes to get physical. So every time he got into the box as a safety, he loved it. He loved the run fit. He loved, you know, hitting somebody. He loved deconstructing blocks and all that. So four games in, they realized, okay, we have a linebacker on our hands. So they moved him to their Sam linebacker position, which is closer to what we would be familiar with as the star position in Mike Zimmer's defense, kind of the J. Ron Ron Curse hybrid role a little bit, but the nick like doing duties the nickel corner does in a more like pro style offense. So he takes to that and, you know, all his coaches throughout all of this, Matt Rule and his staff and people before Matt Rule, high school coaches, all of them just say, man, this kid is just a jock. Like all he, all they say is, yeah, he's a football player. And when people ask, hey, what position do you say? He says, I'm a football player. Just put him on the field, point him in a direction and let him do stuff and be more athletic than the guy next to him. That's a ton of learning coverages and techniques on the fly, learning, you know, uh, like how to sink your hips on a backpedal as a cornerback and then learning how to drive on the ball as a safety and then learning run fits as a linebacker and all this different stuff. So when it came to draft time, he was sort of behind the eight ball again. He had all of this tape at all of these different positions. You know, coaches like a little versatility, but hey, you could be a wide receiver. He did some punt returning. He could play Sam linebacker, corner or safety. Like that's just too much. Most teams are going to scout a player as a certain position and, you know, some flexibility along, ah, you could play defensive end or defensive tackle is great, but you're scouting the guy to play defensive line ultimately. So he only had about a year and a half of linebacker experience, a year and a half of wide receiver tape, some sprinkled corner and safety tape in there. So when a team would come scout 
him. They would have like no reps to to look at. And he also kind of complained. He's like, I don't really feel like I can learn any of these things. Like, I don't feel like I know how to do any of these various things. And I'm happy to do what coach wanted me to do. But now it's going to sink my draft stock. And of course, he was right. He didn't end up getting drafted and his draft stock was completely sunk. But he ended up playing linebacker. And I do think that's probably the most natural fit for him. And I think it just took him too long to get took Matt rule too long to kind of figure out that that's where that was for him. But hey, in, you know, two and a half years, he or three and a half years, he went from quarterback to linebacker. And hey, the Vikings have two of those. But he went from quarterback to linebacker, and he just didn't have enough linebacker experience. So when it came to the NFL, he had a lot of learning to do. And because he was such a difficult scout, and even if you did scout him, you were going to see a lot of mistakes and not a lot of polish. And a lot of, you know, his coaches would say, oh, sometimes you get kind of high school, a little bit schoolyard with it. And he, he works really, really hard on his technique, but man, this kind of thing takes time. And so nobody drafted him, right? So he ends up getting an invite to the Vikings camp and and playing there as this kind of interesting player. And they put him at linebacker, of course, and he spends some time on the practice squad. Of course, he doesn't make the team no preseason and plus he's way behind the curve. So he's going to spend some time learning the position. But the 2020 season did not exactly allow for that. Anthony Barr goes down. Eric Kendricks goes down. Todd Davis and Troy Dye were all hurt. He ends up, when Kendricks goes down right before the Week 13 game against Jacksonville, the next week, Week 14 against Tampa, Bleak Lynch gets activated to the active roster, which is way before he's ready to do it. But of course, this great milestone in his career. And then two games later, Week 16 against the Saints on Christmas, both Troy Dye and Todd Davis are hurt. So... It's time to go in, kid, and he gets his baptism by fire. Of course, he's way, the whole thing is way too fast for him, and he has this terrible game. But now, what is very possibly the worst game of his career is behind him. And now he gets another chance to learn things from scratch, to have a quiet offseason where he can really learn from his tape, really get that NFL experience and have some starting experience to boot. And this linebacker group is kind of weird. So he's going to have to try to make the team again. And it is a wide open linebacker three job. And there are about three to four roster spots between to be split up between five or six players you've got Troy Dye Nick Vigil and Ryan Connolly all of them have starting experience of their own uh Chad Surratt he's going to get a roster spot for sure he was a third round pick a couple of undrafted free agents in there so Blake Lynch could sneak in as linebacker six if he improves and it's certainly possible but it'll definitely be an uphill battle so he's had he, he always asked you know like, give me some repetition give me some you know a long time doing the same thing over and over again so I can get into a rhythm with it He's had the repetition that he wants, and now we get to, to we get to find out if it turns into something or if he's just another guy that's this crazy dynamic athlete that nobody could figure out what they wanted to do with them. So before you go, I just want to shout out the Locked On Today podcast, everything going on in the entire world of sports, hosted by Peter Bukowski, under 20 minutes every single morning. You can find that wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL, and the show's on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. And as always, Skull!